let's start with a prayer. God, thanks for this morning. Thank you for life, breath, sleep, rest, food, health. We could go on and on. Thank you, Lord, for so many things that you give us. Lord, um, thank you for a time to be together and have a conversation about you, about important things, uh, about how you're working in the world, about how you can use us. Um, so God, use us. Use us today in this conversation. Use us as we walk out the door the rest of this day and, and use the rest of our lives uh, in service to you. We thank you most for Jesus, our, our Savior, the one who went before us and died for us, loves us unendingly, and sets for us uh, an example of how to love others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, at, at Made in the Streets, we, we like to ask questions. We ask a lot of questions. Um, I don't believe an organization can improve and truly thrive if they're not asking questions, uh, whether that's in business, in government, uh, in church, or in nonprofit, like where we find ourselves. Uh, you've got to be asking questions all the time. You, you've got to be trying to improve by looking around and seeing where you can do better, um, where you can do different, uh, where will change make sense. So we ask a lot of questions. Uh, some of the common questions we ask on a regular basis are what makes us truly alive? Uh, we, we ask that question a lot. Uh, of each other and of ourselves, because uh, we want to be doing things that, that make us alive. We want to be a part of that. We want to have people in the right places on the team, the right seats on the bus, you might say. Um, we, we ask, what, what do people expect of us? We ask that question a lot. We ask, like, um, what do people pay us to do, basically? We, we survive through uh, donors, contributions, churches, individuals, businesses, foundations, other nonprofits, uh, and, and we're responsible for that. We're accountable to that in investment. And so we ask ourselves, you know, what, what are people expecting of us? What, what do they ask us to do? Um, we, we ask questions like, well, what, what does God want us to do? Uh, what, what, is, what does the Bible have to say about what we're doing on a daily basis? What does, what does God um, want for us as a mission. So we're asking questions a lot. One of the questions that we have found in the last oh, few years that's interesting is this idea of uh, are we holistic or are we holistic? Now, this is a grammar question to start with. <laughs> uh, or a spelling question, you might say. Because the correct, the correct spelling of the word holistic is starts with an H. That's that's the correct spelling, and so we've we've used that that for years to talk about our program and what we do and the the transformation that we want uh, kids to go through when from they go from living on the streets to um, finding themselves off the streets, working in jobs and raising families and living in the city and being leaders in their community. You know, we we talk about this holistic. But what's interesting is uh, Richard Stearns, uh, who was a leader of World Vision for, for many years, came out with a book uh, a while back called The Hole in Our Gospel. And he began to unpack this idea in a little different way and took a different approach to holistic. And so we began to look at that too and, and ask, well, what does that mean for us? And, and, and how is he defining holistic versus how we define holistic? And, and so, so we switch to this spelling of it a little bit um, because we wanted to encompass the whole of things. And, and, and we didn't think whole, H-O-L-E, was really communicating well what we were trying to say. And, and so we went with W-H-O-L-E because it communicates something fuller. And, um, but that didn't, that didn't really sink in or make sense either. So we continue to struggle with this question. Um, is it holistic or is it holistic? Is it holistic or is it holistic? Which led us to another question that I think is even more important. And it's a question people have been asking for thousands of years. 
The question is, what is the gospel? So I want this to be a little more interactive. I'm not so good at lecturing. I'm better at conversations. Uh, so help the conversation to go. Let's answer this question together. Uh, what do you think? What is the gospel? Who's brave enough? Good news. Sure. That's, that's a good answer, right? No one's going to argue with that. Being welcomed into the community. Okay, welcomed into the community. Great. Sharing the truth that God is with you and for you. Mm, I love it. Sharing the truth that God is with you and for you. There's lots of answers. Mm -hmm. We could go on and on and, and on, I'm sure. I mean, there, there's so many ways to, to put this, right? And even if we say good news, which is synonymous for gospel, then we have to go and ask, well, what's the good news? What is that good news? So it's, it's a question that we ask a, a lot. I hope we ask it individually as followers of Jesus. I hope we ask it collectively as communities of believers and followers of Jesus. And then I hope we even ask it on a global scale. Those of us who who feel called to work in global ministry or in, in missions or in, in global nonprofit, we should be asking, what is the gospel? Um, my favorite place to start, and there's a lot of places to start with this, my favorite place to start is to go back to Isaiah 61. So we go all the way back, 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 many, many thousands of years to a prophecy. Isaiah was a prophet of God, and he had many prophecies. This is the one that really sticks out. This one sticks out a lot. And so I, I was hoping we would just maybe read this, um, follow along with me. Uh, this is from New Century Version of the Bible. Isaiah says to the people, the Lord God has put his spirit in me because the spirit of the Lord has appointed me to tell the good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort those whose hearts are broken, to tell the captives they are free, to tell the prisoners they are released. He has sent me to announce the time when the Lord will show his kindness and the time when our God will punish evil people. He has sent me to comfort all those who are sad and to help the sorrowing people of Jerusalem. I will give them a crown to replace their ashes and the oil of gladness to replace their sorrow and clothes of praise to replace their spirit of sadness. Then they will be called trees of goodness, trees planted by the Lord to show his greatness. They will rebuild the old ruins and restore the places destroyed long ago. They will repair the ruined cities that were destroyed for so long. My people, foreigners, will come to tend your sheep. People from other countries will tend your fields and your vineyards. You will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named the servants of our God. You will have riches from all the nations on earth and you will take pride in them. Instead of being ashamed, my people will receive twice as much wealth. Instead of being disgraced, they will be happy because of what they receive. They will receive a double share of the land, so their happiness will continue forever. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate stealing and everything that is wrong. I will be fair and give my people what they should have. And I will make an agreement with them that will continue forever. Everyone in all nations will know the children of my people, and their children will be known among the nations. Anyone who sees them will know that they are people the Lord has blessed. The Lord makes me very happy. All that I am rejoices in my God. He has covered me with clothes of salvation and wrapped me with a coat of goodness, like a bridegroom dressed for a wedding, like a bride dressed in jewels. The earth causes plants to grow, and a garden causes the seeds planted in it to grow. And in the same way, the Lord God will make goodness and praise come from all the nations. This passage is phenomenal. I mean, it's remarkable. It's remarkable in its context, in its original proclamation and hearing. And it's phenomenal over and over and over and over and over again every time it gets told. Now, when it was first told, the people of Israel had gone through a lot of tough times. They had been captive, they had been in wars, they had been poor, they had been beat down, they had been oppressed. Uh, they were an oppressed people, right? They, they, had, they had gone through so many challenges going all the way back to the Exodus. I mean, this is long after they've left Egypt. 
And yet the ups and downs and the trials of life were continuing to beat this group of people up. And Isaiah comes in with this proclamation and it gives so much. More than anything, it probably gives hope. But it, it also gives a reminder of who God is and what the gospel is to the hearers originally. Now, we don't know this for fact, but I have this hunch that this was told many times. Uh, I mean, kind of imagine through the years a community of believers still going through their ups and downs. This is the thing you pull out, right? I mean, at, at, at Christmas time, we pull out, you know, the, the, the story of Bethlehem and, and, and tell the story of Joseph and Mary and coming in and finding no room at the end. That, that's like one of our stories that we tell that gives us hope through the Christmas time. Around Easter time, you know, on Good Friday, we tell the story of the cross and the story of the resurrection pretty close together. Um, as Tony Campolo said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. You know, we, we love to tell that story, and we tell it every year over and over and over again. Um, it's one of the reasons the early Christians really liked the calendar, the Christian calendar. They were fond of this because they knew life had up and down. They knew that, that there were going to be mountains and there were going to be valleys and you were going to need reminders of who God is and what the gospel is. And you were going to need these stories and these proclamations to bring you back to center and to give you that hope to press forward. So this had to have been told thousands and thousands of thousands of times over the thousands and thousands of years. Uh, people who were followers of God before Christ knew this passage. Most of them knew it by memory. Um, people who were followers of God during the time of Jesus knew this passage. And most of them knew it by memory. This was a foundational part. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so important to go back to this Isaiah 61 and, and know how foundational it was um, to the story of God? I had a, uh, I had a class in uh, grad school. Um, and it was, it was an interesting class because it was a preaching class, but it really wasn't the, the technical side of preaching. Uh, the professor was really trying to get us to think of more of the behind-the-scenes stuff of preaching. Like, what are you really talking about when you're preaching? So not the technical putting the words together, but more of what's happening before you put the words together kind of stuff. And he started the first week of class with a question that I thought was weird at first. He just said, uh, hey, uh, how do you describe the Bible to somebody? Okay, well, you know, we're all a bunch of kids who grew up in church mostly, and uh, now we're in graduate school, and we've already studied a lot about the Bible. So um, most of the people in the room were going into this long uh, diatribes and soliloquies and 50-page uh, papers on what is the Bible. You know, the ancient text started long ago when the... Uh, <laughs> You know, they just go on and on and on and on. He's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. He's like, what, what is the Bible? Just a real simple, basic understanding. How would you tell somebody what this is? And I didn't have a lot of right answers in grad school. I barely made it through. But something clicked in my head that day, and this is the words that came to my mind. The Old Testament is what God did, and the New Testament is what God's still doing. And, and, and I, I, for me, that kind of works. That kind of communicates well. The Old Testament is a story that tells me of what God did, but then the New Testament continues that story of what God's still doing. Now, what's fascinating about that for me, for me, is that a passage like this carries throughout the whole Scripture. And if this is what God did and this is what God's still doing, then it's something we should still be doing. So, so, so then I go back and I go, okay, what does this passage right here say the gospel is? If I just use Isaiah 61 as my definition, 
And so Isaiah here is speaking on behalf of God, and God is saying stuff like good news to the poor, comfort for the broken, letting captives free, prisoners released, punishing evil people, uh, helping people with their sorrow, bringing gladness. There's a theme here. It, it just runs throughout the whole thing. Um, and there's some interesting stuff in here about, you know, foreigners owning your, you know, coming to till your land and stuff like that. I'm not sure I understand. But the majority of this, I get. It, it makes sense to me. It's not, uh, it's not hard. It's not difficult. It's, it's actually pretty simple. Um, loving justice. Hating stealing. All this stuff is, is, is really important. So then that brings us to the next part of the story. Obviously, I'm jumping forward thousands of years. But really, the next part of the story is, is Jesus. God's son comes to earth and born in a manger where animals eat and he grows in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. And then he goes to start his ministry somewhere on age 33. So just like we said, what is the gospel? Let's say this. Who is Jesus? Throw some words out. Messiah. The one to come. Savior of the world. Friend of sinners. Say it again. Man and God. Right? Divinity and humanity in the same being. Brother. He's so many things. Right? And so when we talk about who is Jesus, we also have to ask the question, you know, who, who did the people of the time think Jesus was? Who did the people who read Isaiah think Jesus was? You know, what, what, was what was their view of Jesus? And it's the same as what we're saying today. They saw him as someone who would come as a, as a savior, as a, as a friend, as a comforter, as a brother, as a, as a champion. Some saw him as a warrior. Some saw him as a political leader. Some saw him as all these things, right? And ultimately, the story for us is that he was the sinless one who died on a cross, was buried, and then rose again. And, th- and this is our story. Our story is we follow Jesus, who was crucified on a cross without sin, and who rose again and came back to life. That, that's our story. And, and we tell it. I hope we tell it. I mean, we tell it in church. We tell it to our families. We tell it to our kids. We tell it to our friends. We tell it to our coworkers. We're telling this story. Who is Jesus? Jesus is this, that, and other. But oftentimes, I have missed the Jesus that is talked about in Isaiah 61. I, I, I've missed it, frankly. Um, I get so caught up into the Jesus who is forgiven me of my sins, which he does, and the Jesus who died for me on the cross, which he did, and the Jesus who changed my life, all that stuff, I get caught up in. I don't pay attention long enough to the Jesus of Isaiah 61. But if I read the Gospels, if I read the accounts of Jesus, here's what I see. Uh, These are just a few examples. Uh, Mark 14 13, he fed them. That particular one was 5,000 people he fed, but not the only place he fed them. Uh, Matthew 8 16, cast out spirits. Matthew 14 14, he felt compassion for people and he healed them. Luke 6 18, he healed their diseases. Mark 10 14, he invited children to come to him. Um, Luke 13, 22, he taught them in their villages and in their towns and in their synagogues and in their temples and along the way. There's so many things. And, and there's more of these. These are just examples. But if you really study the full story of Jesus, if you look at the Gospels as synoptic, as one full story of Jesus, you see that he embodied 
what Isaiah said in Isaiah 61. He, he lived it. Isaiah proclaimed it. Isaiah said it. But Jesus embodied it. Um, that's fascinating to me. I mean, in some ways, it's a mind-blowing thing. But we're not done yet. Because what will really blow our minds is when Jesus himself connects himself to Isaiah 61. So in Luke chapter 4, we read the story of Jesus coming into the temple, and this is what happens. A scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Don't miss that part. A scroll was given to him. Somebody there handed him the scroll of Isaiah. Did he ask for it? Doesn't tell us. We don't know for sure. Did somebody there know uh, this is what he should be reading? We don't know. Doesn't tell us. But somehow, some way, God working in his mystery, someone handed Jesus the scroll of Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Remember that? That's Isaiah 61. That's, that's the one they all knew and read and memorized. That's the one that they saw as a foundational uh, proclamation to get them hope every time they were in the valley. And he goes to that point and he reads it. And they're like, yeah, of course you would read that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the foundational stuff. The Lord does this for us. Yes, yes. And then he says, rolling up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. That's it. That's all he read. Rolls it up, puts it back. All the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. Why? Because they're like, that can't be it. That's all you're going to do? You, you unroll a scroll and you read a few verses and you roll it up and you put it, that's it? I mean, he had the full crowd in the palm of his hands. They are fixed on him. And he says, then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says, it's me. I'm here. This is it. This is the fulfillment. This thing for thousands of years you've been talking about, this thing for thousands of years that you've been uh, anxious for, it's here. It's me. This is it. This is, this is happening. And I love it. I love it because it's what God did and it's what God's still doing. And so as followers of Jesus... We've, we've got to see this as our story. It's not holistic and or holistic. It's not holistic versus holistic. It's holistic and holistic. It's like followers of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the essence of the gospel is holistic. It's, it's a whole that Jesus came to fill. There's no doubt about that. I, I, I have something wrong with me. and Without Jesus, it doesn't get fixed. He fixes that hole. He fixes that missing part. But it's also holistic, a, a, the whole picture. He's not just fixing my emotional health. He's not just fixing my spiritual formation. He's fixing my education. He's fixing my physical health. He's fixing my mental health. He's fixing the whole deal. When he identifies himself with Isaiah 61, he says, I'm it. I'm all this stuff. I'm release of the prisoners. I'm uh, joy for the sorrowful. I am food for the hungry. I am uh, wealth for the poor. I am all that stuff. I mean, for me, that's just, a, that, that just when I finally kind of realized and accepted this and started thinking about this, it, it, it really blew my mind. Because that's a whole other way of thinking, what is the gospel? That, that, means, that, means, that means Jesus wants to fix our education system. That means Jesus wants to fix our inequality and our socioeconomic system. 
That means Jesus wants to fix the inequality in our community relations with each other. Jesus wants hungry people to be fed. Jesus wants homeless people to have a roof over their head. That, that's what he wants. And too many times, um, as born and raised evangelical followers of Jesus, we, we bear it all down into, well, it's, it's, it's just about Jesus forgiving me of my sins. It's, it, it's just about what Jesus did to forgive my sins. I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm worthless. I need him. He forgives me of my sins. Now I can live a new life and do whatever I kind of want and need to do. And that is missing the point. It's a great point, and it's one that can't be left out, but it's not the full picture. It's not the holistic gospel. To only concentrate on one aspect of Jesus misses the point. And so um, I, I want to bring the guys up here uh, to tell you a few stories to kind of illustrate some of this. And so, um, Booby, start by telling us uh, what life is like in Mathari slum. Nairobi is 4 million people. 800,000 of those people live in an area of town called the Mathari slum. And Booby's going to tell us about it. Uh, I grew up in Matara myself, and uh, I would say it's uh, one of those hard places to live, in, you know, if hard is a good word to use, because uh, there is hardly any amenities, or, you know, what, what many of you are used to, you know, there is hardly a place for people to go for their, you know, to relieve themselves, you know, it's like, everyone for themselves, you know. At some time they used to joke and say, you know, there is what are called flying toilets. You know, maybe I'll spare the explanation for that, but, <laughs> you know, but you know, people just take showers and, you know, you throw your water on anywhere, and, and it's going to flow, whether it flows to your neighbor, you know, or finds its way out, it's, it's what it is. Many of the people there who live in, in the Mazari slums, uh, make, you know, if, if you are able to make 100 shillings a day, then you praise God. Because, you know, with 100 shillings, you'll be able to feed your family and, you know, you'll be able to feed yourself and, you know, and hope that by the end of the month, you are able to get even extra to pay for your, for your rent. Uh, I remember when I was a child, many times we, we kept moving moving from one house to the other because you know, uh, my parents would not be able to pay for one house and since you, you stayed in the house and then paid at the end of the month, we'd move just a few days before the end of the month to a new house. And, and uh, many of the children that, uh, uh, that have grown in Matara have grown in, in these kinds of situations where you know, getting simple things like food are not guaranteed. Know, I, I can tell you hundreds of stories of how many times I had to sleep hungry, how many times I, I would not go to school because I was hungry and, and I, would, I had to go to a marketplace and look for things to, to eat and, or things to sell and sometimes even take some of those uh, uh, products back home. Uh, I know many times I never got to go to school, you know, things that probably not many other children around the world may, may experience it, you know, probably maybe in America. But there were times I wouldn't go to school because uh, it was not guaranteed. My parents, you know, didn't have the uh, ability to pay for me to go to school. And uh, simple things that sometimes we, you know, we, we take it for granted, like clothing, you know, uh, having warm clothes and things that you can wear. Remember that you know, uh, my, my friends used to say I have spotlights, you know, and they didn't see their own spotlights, but uh, they had spotlights. Spotlights is when you have, you know, your shorts have so much worn out, they have holes at the back, and, mm -hmm. and like, man, you know. And, and, and it, was, it was this kind of life that, that, that I grew in. And uh, many of the, uh, of the young script boys and girls that we work with grow in similar situations. 
you know, they, they grow in, in this environment where you know, either their parents are drunk or parents are uh, divorced and you know, there is what you call marriage, but it is you know, probably cohabiting, if I can say that. You know, you'll cohabit and if it works out well, if it doesn't work out, I'll find somebody else. And so there is a lot of uh, children who are, bound, who are born out of web dogs and, and they end up you know, uh, having to fend for themselves. Because you get married to this other guy, and he's like, I'm going to marry you, but your children, no. And so it's like, okay, you tell your children, you take care of yourself, and you know, I'm, I'm getting married. And where will these children end up? Many of them end up being on the streets in, in East. So I grew up like that, and I got to high school. And when I got to high school, things got a little bit, uh, a little bit tricky. You know, as a teenager, you're always trying things out. You know, your friends are bringing one or two things, and you know, they introduced me to, I started out with marijuana, you know, and uh, within a period of time, I was into moonshine, and I was into other drugs. Um, there's a mental hospital nearby called the Macari Hospital, and uh, uh, we would we'd be able to access some of the drugs from there, and you know, we'd, we'd just be high on that. By the time I finished high school, uh, you know, it had become worse because now I joined a gang, you know, a young group of young men, and we got from Matara is in like a valley, and we have to move to Isli, which is a little bit kind of higher, and we consider Isli a well-to-do area or a rich area. So we go to Isli and snatch necklaces and handbags and watches and you know anything that we thought would would make money and, and would run back down to Matari and go sell it and use use the money on, on drugs or something else. Well this continued for some time and one of my friends, Sami, had become a Christian. You know, before he did, he used to live in Matari and he you know he was a he was a marijuana peddler and uh, I would come from school and say, oh, Sammy, I'm, I'm hungry. Can you give me something to eat? And he'd give me rolls of marijuana and say, you sell this, and when you bring the money back, I'll buy you something to eat. And so I, I, I did that. But now he'd become a Christian before me. And he would, you know, he'd get word about our small gang and all that, that we were doing, you know. And, uh, you know, he would send people who knew me. He'd say, go tell Francis to come see me. Most of the times, I never did because I'd get high on something. And uh, one day, Sammy comes to see me and uh, he says, I've been sending for you, why haven't you come? I said, you know, I've been forgetting. So Sammy takes me to his place on that, on that day and you know, just turns out he's painting a picture of reality to me. Things that have been happening and maybe I haven't been paying attention to them. And, and he painted the picture of one of my friends who had been killed by mob justice. You know, at that time, and some of it still continues, if, if you are caught stealing something, then they would take a, a tire and, and put it on you and pour paraffin on you and, and burn you. And, and he reminded me of a friend who had, who had been burned. And he reminded me of another who was in jail and another who was in hospital. And he said, you know, it's only a matter of time before it's going to be you. And he asked me, would you like to change? And I said, yeah. No. It, at that time, my reason of changing was not actually to change. It was, I wanted to go back to Madare. You know, I think my answer was, okay, yes, I'll change. Can I go now? You know? But he said, no. No, you start today. You, know, you said you want to change, why not start? And I think that was my turning point. Because from then on, Sam introduces me to church. He introduces me to Charles and Darlene, whom he works for. And uh, he's, you know, his work was simple, just coloring Sunday school material in the church for, for Sunday school classes. And you know, making sure they had mag magnetics uh, at the back and they were laminated and ready for Sunday. And that's all we did. This continued for like, 
an ear. And during that time, I'm following Sammy into class, I'm following Sammy into uh, various places and other things that he's doing. And without knowing, the word of God is being planted in me. And uh, uh, you know, over, over a period of time, then you know, I became a Christian. And from then on, it became a point of I teaching others about God because God had changed me. God had done it for me, and I knew, and I still know that He can do it in the lives of many others. So, one of my favorite descriptive words of Jesus is Redeemer. I love the word Redeemer. I want to ask you a question. Which part of Francis's story did Jesus want to redeem? It's all of it, right? It's all of it. He, he wanted to redeem the drug use. He wanted to redeem the, the poverty. He wanted to redeem the lack of food. He wanted to redeem the malnutrition. He wanted to redeem the stealing. He wanted to redeem the spotlight holes in his shorts. The gospel tells us that Jesus wants to redeem the whole, all of it. So as followers of Jesus and as ministers of the gospel, we got to figure out what our mission is. What's our mission? I think Jesus knew his mission. He knew it well and he accomplished it. He was, he was in and on mission from day one to the very end. And he asked no less of us. That's the thing. He, he asked us when he says, join me, and we can look at all the examples of when he asked people to join them. It was not just partly. It wasn't, join me for this little thing, but not this other stuff. Or, join me and follow me for a little while, but not forever. No, every time he asked someone to join him or follow him, it was like the full package. So we're talking now about holistic fellowship. <laughs> they call it discipleship in the Bible. Holistic discipleship means following in on the whole mission of Jesus. And if that whole mission of Jesus is the holistic gospel that's illustrated so nicely in Isaiah 61, and as you heard in Francis' story, that's the mission. That's the mission. Now, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how we do it. Um, this is not how everybody has to do it. Just for us, what we found best is the mission of Made in the Streets is to love and serve children on the streets of Nairobi, Kenya, meeting their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs, loving them fully, equipping them to earn a living, and sending them out into new life. Now, this is why this is so important for us and why, you know, dissecting Isaiah 61 and, and the life of Jesus and what's the gospel and what our mission is so important is, is we feel like, Jesus cares about the street kids. And we feel like he cares about their whole life. He cares that they get an education. He cares that they have nutritional meals to eat. He cares that they have a bed to sleep in. He cares that their emotional needs are met. He cares about their mental health. He cares about the forgiveness of their sins. He cares about them becoming disciples and followers of him. He cares about all that stuff. And so our mission then has to be the same. Our mission has to be that holistic part. And for us, we came to the conclusion that to leave out any piece of that is to really present a less than holistic gospel. A less than holistic mission is a less than holistic gospel. And that's not fair. That's not right. Um, for these kids that, that we love and care for. Um, so, so that's what we do. So that's what we do. Um, I, I want Joel to share a little bit about evangelism. 
there's two parts of this at Me in the Streets. I'm going to have him tell you two different stories. First, he's going to tell you about some of the ways that we proclaim the story of Jesus, how it's actually told verbally to our students and to people all over Kenya. But then secondly, I'm going to have him tell you how that message is told, and I'm using quotes here, in how our staff lives their life. Uh, so my name's Joe, and um, in many of the streets over the years, what we've done is we have found that um, it makes sense that when we go outside and interact with the kids, that we are an ambassador of Christ. And so what we do in many of the streets, when we go to the streets and meet these young children, we create a relationship so that we are, we are able to connect with them. We are able, they're able to be comfortable with us. They're able to see that we're not just coming to tell them that you, we are better than you. We are coming to tell you that we are a part of your, uh, yourselves and that we are here to uh, bring that message to you and so that you're able to see what God is able to do in your, in your life. And so maybe the streets goes to the streets, sits with them, shares with them, uh, encourages them, uh, prays with them, plays with them, and that way they're able to connect with us. After that, we invite them into our programs, and when they come to the program, we are able to just create that relationship. We don't force them to change. We just create that relationship. And over time, as they are in their bubble and they're thinking of where do I go next, then they're able to look at the model that they are, that is being uh, shown from the team members, the way they carry out their lives. And when they decide to come into a program, then they have an example of how that looks like. They're able to see uh, the team members or the people who are working there living like this. And, and so they, they're able to have a model that they can be able to look at. A lot of them are coming from backgrounds whereby, like Bobby said, they have never had a family setup. So how does a family setup look like? A lot of them have known pain in their life. Maybe when they look at the men who are in their life, they have known pain from those men. Or when they, maybe when they look at the women in their life, they have known pain from those women. And so, this is modeled to them so that they're able to come to that realization and they're able to just decide for themselves that this is what I want and I want to take that step to, towards that direction. And so that's how we do it at many instances. There's a quote that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And it goes along the lines, something like this, uh, preach the gospel or talk about Jesus everywhere you go and when necessary use words. Now, one of the things I love about our team in Kenya, these guys and the other 48, is that although they do use words sometimes to talk about Jesus and they do tell Bible stories and they've got these great magnetic characters that they put on the uh, tin walls back here and tell the story, 90% of what they tell about Jesus is through how they live their life, how they love, how they care, when they show up with some milk um, and, and share that with the boys on the streets, when they um, offer them some, some clothes, a place to clean up, a place to use the bathroom. Uh, that is really telling about who Jesus is in their lives. The fact that they go out there and they they hug these kids and they love on them and they, they, they bandage up their wounds. Um, it's amazing. And then when the kids do leave the streets, um, they go into school and they have teachers now who exemplify Christ in the classroom. And many schools in Kenya, if you don't do good on your school work, what happens to you, Francis? You remain in the same class, you don't move to the next one. Yep. You don't, you don't get any extra help. They just kind of let you sit there. 
And, and Joel, if you're in a boarding school and maybe you get in trouble in other parts of Kenya, what happens to you? You may be expelled from that facility, just taken out. Okay. Uh, Anything else? Uh, maybe you'll be uh, given a task that would be very hard for you to do. Maybe uh, you're the one who'd be assigned to be cleaning the dogs and that. Yeah. And so the way these teachers teach and the way these dorm parents love on kids is the way Jesus would. He says, let the children come to me. And they do the same thing. They say, hey, we're going to have discipline, but we're going to have the loving, caring kind of discipline. You're not going to get beat. You're going to get forgiveness when you mess up. You're going to get a second chance. And so in school... Um, they teach literacy and they teach skills because the, the team feels like one of the things Jesus would want is for these kids not to go back to the streets and for them to have jobs and for them to have a future and a family. They deserve that. Jesus wants that. And so the team helps them to do that, helps them with their schoolwork, helps them to get a skill that um, can then lead them to employment. They learn lots of things in the literacy program. And then they learn in skills uh, how to cook or how to cater or how to do hospitality, maybe how to do woodworking, how to do hair, cosmetology, ultimately so that then they can get licensed and get a job. And now after 25 years, we have 460 some odd graduates living and working in Nairobi that didn't go back to the streets. And it's a testament to how the gospel is lived out in this team and in their lives to these kids. Now, my favorite part is sending. Some schools call it graduation. We call it sending because we feel like we are sending these uh, new students into the world as uh, new believers, as disciples of Jesus, as leaders of their community, as world changers. Uh, we feel like you know this full redemption story means that they also get to go and help change other people's lives. So they are sent out. After they get their documents and their resumes, maybe an internship, they're into the world. And they're doing discipleship. They're being discipled, but they're also discipling others. And it's this amazing story that continues. Because now, and we have many of our students who've come through the program graduate, they're now going out and feeding kids on the street. They're now going out and giving kids opportunity to come and, and learn in school. Um, they're going out and telling those Bible stories. Uh, it's an amazing thing. One of the things Joel Jutt does each year is he takes two trips around Kenya. And these trips are to go visit small churches that lives in, live in villages uh, and towns outside of the city. And uh, thanks to a lot of volunteers and, and help here in the, in the U.S., he takes packets of Bible characters, mostly the parables, right? But the parables, if they were told in an East African context. So we take the parables and we change the color of the skin on uh, the, the characters, and we tell these stories of the gospel. So Joel gets a group of students who were former street kids who are now in school, and he takes them along, and he allows them to teach other people how to teach the Bible stories. It's so cool. It is so cool to see our students who just a couple years ago were living on the streets with no hope and didn't know anything about Jesus, standing up in front of a congregation of people and showing them the Bible characters and telling the parable stories and then teaching them how to tell the parable stories to their neighbors and their community. This is the ripple effect of the gospel when it's holistic in nature. Um, this end of the world continues with weekly worship gatherings and alumni who... Um, help each other in the city. It's fantastic. So I, I just wanted you to see, for us, when we think of the holistic gospel, we think of a, a holistic mission to share Jesus, uh, it includes helping people in the streets. It includes bringing, giving those student, uh, kids an opportunity to go to school. And then it includes sending them out into new life. That's our version of the holistic gospel. That's evangelistic that's missions. And I'm so, so thankful that these guys and girls on our team do it every single day because they're changing the world the way Jesus changed the world. 
just like Jesus did, they're doing that same thing. And so we invite people to join that mission. But today, I also want to ask, what about you? How, how are you living out the holistic gospel? How, how are you going on a holistic mission for Jesus? How, how could you take the proclamation of Isaiah 61 and the examples that Jesus had in his life and then incorporate those into your life? How could you, like Francis Assisi and like Francis Mbuvi, preach Jesus with and without words? How could you do that? That's a challenge for all of us. It, it's, it's the challenge for me on a daily basis in my home, in my office, on a plane, in my church, in my neighborhood, at my school. It's a challenge. What about you? What's your model? You've seen our model, but I would encourage everybody to come up with your model. What's your personal model for holistic gospel evangelism? What could you do? There's so many opportunities out there. And there's opportunities in the U.S. There's opportunities in Kenya. There's opportunities all over the world for each one of us to be evangelistic. There's opportunities for each one of us to do what Jesus did and, and, and really be what Joel said. What Joel said. We, we get to you know, really embody and exemplify and incarnational uh, versions of, of Jesus. We're so, uh, we're so thrilled that you would come and be in this conversation with us. And we've got uh, two more minutes here before we close out. And so I just want to thank you. Prayer for all of us. Lord, um, help us to live for you. Help us to love like you did. And Lord, help us to be on mission, holistically. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank y'all for being here.